Hello, everyone. Welcome back once again to another episode of Chirps, your friendly neighborhood Cardinals podcast at Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, along with Alex, and we've finally made it to the All-Star break. I say finally, but at the same time, Alex, I feel like this, like many years, it kind of gets to this point in the season, which we know is not the statistical middle point of the season, but we get there and then it's like, oh, oh, it's it's the all-star break already. Uh, all right. What do we what do we do with all the information we've gathered thus far? Does it feel this year like the all-star break came quickly or have we been sludging along through bad baseball with the Cardinals for long enough that it kind of feels like a welcome reprieve? First off, I like that you call this friendly neighborhood podcast. Like uh, <laughs> we're stealing Spider-Man's brand. Uh, I don't know if to me it feels as though it came quickly or if it took a while. What I do know is previous years, the four nights off, whatever it is, was it about four nights off? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, felt like an eternity. <laughs> and less than a week, barely over half a week. It felt awful. Felt like it took forever. I'm kind of welcoming it this year. Uh, a time to kind of all of us recalibrate uh, the team as well. I hope the team is doing the same. Um, maybe collect our bearings and hoping I'll be ready to go once. Uh... <laughs> this sounds terrible. I assume Thursday. Is that when we're starting up or Friday? Friday. Good question. <laughs> we know, right we on, know things on. about baseball, right? We we watch well, this team occasionally. Changed. Friday, Friday is when they're right. back. That's good. So that's a that's a solid break. Uh, I feel good, rested, hope, hoping to feel this way on Friday. Um, and I will say the team is two games under five hundred right now. Per Fangraphs, we're talking about a team with like a. 2.5% chance of making the playoffs. Their first 12 games out of the gate are Giants, Cubs, Reds, Cleveland. They can't afford to go five. If, if, if they lay an egg against these teams, and they possibly could, um, depending on what you want to say, these are good to whatever we're thinking about the Cubs at the time, but I, you know the Cubs seem to be beating our brains in, so I never feel good about games against the Cubs. These are all pretty decent teams. If they go five and seven, let's say, they're going to be four games under 500 with about 60 games to go. I don't think they come back from that. It's hard to imagine they come back from that. And that's going to be July 25th when that 12 game stretch ends, leading right up to that trade deadline. And I would guess a very inactive deadline by the Cardinals. If if they don't give the fans and the team reason to believe that, hey, we can actually do something here. Yeah, I agree. And I think there is some I feel I have a hard time pinpointing any certain moment or any certain series at this point in the season where it feels like this has to be when, when they start playing well, but it does kind of feel yeah. like they need to come out of the break strong and make a, even if it's a slow, but steady climb to looking like a team that can compete for a postseason spot, because like you said, the trade deadline is coming up. The Cardinals are not notoriously active at the trade deadline, but in particular when they're sort of just treading water, 
especially in the division, it feels like something needs to happen pretty quickly out of the break to get a feel for what direction this team goes. Not necessarily in the sense of, do they sell off everyone or add pieces, but how big of a piece do they add? What do they really try to do with an entire rotation of starting pitchers on the IL? How far do they push this, depending on what happens coming out of the All-Star break? Which the Cardinals just sort of historically, at least in recent history, are pretty immune to any sort of momentum. So I don't feel too bad about the fact that they kind of ended the first half strong-ish with a rain out um, after winning one game against the Cubs. It's weird to think that that felt strong, but I guess a couple of games against the Giants did feel pretty good. It felt better than it did the week before, but I'm not particularly concerned about them losing steam because they don't tend to hold on to that momentum well. Um, All that to say, it does feel like a strong start to games after the All-Star break is really important just in sort of the determining factors of what happens next. Right. On the latest uh, Cardinals off day podcast, the two Ben's were kind of talking about talking about football brain infiltrating how we talk about baseball, which is like one game seems to making the idea of one game being making or breaking the season. Um, So I, I don't want to be doing that here, but we are talking about a team that doesn't look like a good team, has not been a good team, and is two games over 500. So it is two games under 500. So it is kind of a now or never stretch, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I think it's hard to do that in baseball because there are so many games to kind of pin everything on one sort of small window of time. But I do think it's fair to say what happens next is really important. Yeah, and it's not a situation also where they're two games under five hundred, but uh, let's say let's say the Brewers are only like four games over. Like, you right. know, they're eight games back, uh, and, and that's pretty big. And I I haven't even checked the wild card because I don't I don't want to uh, no point demean, at the, demean exact <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I think if they don't do well over this next twelve game stretch, my main focus might be for the Cardinals. I might just pay attention to make sure they're staying at least closer to the Brewers than they are the Pirates in, in, the, in the standings. That, that is your new goal. That is not, I'm not asking too much of you. Just look, if you're, if you're eight games behind the Brewers, you better be at least 10 games in front of the Pirates or whatever it is. I think that's, I was going to say fair, but also we just keep moving the bar a little bit lower. <laughs> So that we have some sort of reason to keep watching what this team uh, is or is not doing. And I will say, we're laughing about it because, I mean, what else do you do at this point? But I think the reality for me is that I still watch this team and I go, okay, they should be better. <laughs> like, they shouldn't be this bad. I think we had some concerns coming into the season, whether it was a rotation. Surprise, that played out exactly like we expected it to. Or the offense that, mm, shockingly, hasn't just made some dramatic change from the last two years. But they shouldn't be this bad, I don't think. So for me watching, there's still that off chance that, like, maybe it all just clicks. <laughs> Maybe they finally start to look like the team that actually sat in first place for a couple of weeks. And we were like, hey, this is kind of fun. And then Jack Flaherty got hurt and all hell broke loose. So while we're kind of joking about lowering the bar, 
I guess in my mind, it's different than sort of surrendering (laughs) the whole season because I still feel like, yes, eight games back. Yes, they need to start making their moves. Yes, they need to look better coming out of the break. But there is still this, maybe it's, you know, that that naive glimmer of hope, but the thought in my mind that they should be able to be better than they have been. They should be able to. So at some point, maybe we see that. Well, you suffer from a condition that a lot of Cardinals fans also suffer from, myself included. And it's it's this. 2006 uh, sort of messed with our brains and taught us that you really don't have to be that awesome to win the World Series. Mm-hmm. In 2011, then completely destroyed the rest of our brains and told <laughs> and basically told us that it's never over. Like we can be this many games out and there's still a chance that they can come back. Even though that's 10 years ago, I, I still cling to this weird thing because of 2011, because I saw 2011 happen that I definitely hold out hope longer than a rational person would only because I've seen with my own eyes, something beyond rational actually happen. Uh, I bet that has kind of conditioned your brain as well, at least a little bit. And also we're just sports fans and you know why it, there's no fun in like giving up and like, yeah. and, well, and I also think know, it like, is true. Be an optimist. I think it's also true that no matter how you slice it, the Cardinals have been a team that's a contender all the time in the recent past. So we're very accustomed to the idea of, yeah, but they're going to figure it out. (laughs) Like they always figure something out and they haven't always figured it out, but more often than not in the last decade plus, this is a team that you expect to at least have a significant stretch of a season where they look like a postseason contending team. So I think there's some conditioning there that goes along with the brain melting results <laughs> from 2006 and 2011 that have us in this very weird brain space as it relates to baseball. Well, first off, I want to note for the record that I hate it when people disparage the 2016 uh, because I think that team was a lot better than its record. And the fact that it was really the first team I saw win a World Series. I was only three years old in 1982, so that doesn't count. Um, and so I... I have very fond feelings for that team, and I get mad when people uh, say bad things about them. So I don't want to sound like I'm doing that. Second thing I wanted to ask you, though, is whether or not you think this is a real thing. So Schilt took over, gosh, three years ago, right? And they didn't make the playoffs in 2018, but they finished very strong. I, you know, I think grinding out 88 wins when they were a, a couple games under 500 when Matheny was fired or at least around there. Um, Finished very strong under Schilt. Around this time, two years ago, the 2019 team that won the division was around 500 uh, heading into the All-Star break. If they weren't exact, I think they may have been exactly 500. And that team ended up winning 91 games. So again, they finished strong in the second half. Uh, last year, there's no reason to really think about last year because it was such a weird season. So let's just focus on 2018, 2019. Do we think that's just whatever that's baseball or do we think this is like a Schilt thing? Like, like he, he knows how to manage and he, he has a knack for having teams that finish strong in the second half, or is that just a ludicrous thing to say because of such a small sample? We're talking about two seasons. Um, one of which he wasn't even the manager for most of that season. And, you know, he perhaps you can just put it on a look. Change in regime from a 
a manager who, who at that point, I don't think it's controversial to say had lost at least some people in the clubhouse. And it was just like that natural bump of kind of having new blood um, in the manager's seat. It's an interesting question. And I think my I have two initial thoughts. First of all, yes, it is a, a small sample size to try to determine anything by. But I would also say there may be something to that in the sense that we watched in, in those two seasons you talked about, we watched players under Mike Schilt start very slowly. And Mike Schilt continued to say, hey, he's going to turn it on. He's going to get there. He's taking good at bats. He's going to be this. He's going to be that. Dexter Fowler. Uh, we saw it to some degree with, with Matt Carpenter in 2018. We saw it with Colton Wong. There's something about the way that he can, almost to a fault, give players enough space to figure it out that then when it finally works, when they finally do figure it out, he can say, see, I knew it all along. But that's a very frustrating approach and maybe not the best one overall for a team because we've we've talked in the group chat with birds in the black i've talked to kyle about it i've talked to daniel shopta about it we've talked with other people that mike schultz seems to be at his best when he manages aggressively but he doesn't do that very often and he doesn't seem to do it till later in the season when it's like okay now now we got to play to win <laughs> so i don't know if there is something real to that or if it's just sort of the visual that we get watching this team and then going back and looking at the results first first half, second half kind of thing. But it is an interesting conversation and I don't think it's entirely without merit. I think it's just really hard to know for sure if it's just one of those weird fluky things for a couple of years or if it's the way that a Mike Schultz managed team tends to work. I'd love to go back and look at his AAA teams and see if there was a, a discrepancy first half, second half for them too. But that's not even a good apples to apples comparison because those minor league teams generally don't have the same team first half to second half with promotions and movement and all those sorts of things. So it's really hard to to juggle what those results mean in direct comparison to the major league team. But an interesting thought, nonetheless. I would love to know people I'm, listening if they have if they have thoughts on that as well. Well, I, it is just another reason to cling to hope, but I'm guessing it is completely without merit on <laughs> um, the idea that that uh, Schultz teams just ma- just like are are playing the long game and are gonna like have a great second half. Uh, one thing that's kind of uh, remarkable is that Schilt has only managed one full season with the Cardinals so far, which I mean, yeah, last year was, you know, through no fault of his own, but it's easy to forget that he really hasn't been here for that for very long. He he hasn't done this very long. (laughs) No, And not under normal circumstances for most of, for most of that tenure either. So, um, and, an interesting sort of caveat, little, little side note to, uh, to some of the, some of the criticisms that uh, we could, we could bring up in terms of Mike Schilt. But all of this is really just because we don't really have a lot to say about this Cardinals team at this point and what they will or will not do coming out of the all-star break. A lot of injuries that may have an impact that may lead to moves being made, whether it's minor leaguers getting a shot or, you know, sort of those peripheral additions. We'll see how all that plays out. I did want to mention, I know that you did not get a chance to watch the home run derby. We're recording this prior to the all-star game, which neither of us have any strong feelings about. So we're not going to talk about that anyway, but I, I actually tend to enjoy the home run derby for the fanfare and for the just 
so the the absurdness of it all and the feats of athleticism that we see of course i was very invested as was everyone else in the inclusion of shohei otani in the home run derby um but before watching it i was saying to my husband what's probably going to happen is that it's going to be a huge letdown. He's not going to make it out of the first round because that's what always happens with the superstar that's supposed to win it all. And it was still probably the most exciting part of the Derby with the back and forth between him and Juan Soto. They had to go into extra time and then they had to go into a swing off and it was a whole thing. Fascinating. Incredible to watch. Pete Alonso just kind of like owns the home run Derby at this point, but All of that to say, I have one lasting thought about the Home Run Derby. There was a lot of frustration online about the change in format in the sense that the ball doesn't have to drop before the next pitch is thrown anymore. So you can just fire it in there, which is great for hitting as many home runs as you can in three minutes. It's terrible for television (laughs) because you cannot watch every ball in the air as it lands and the pitch being thrown. And there are like three baseballs in the air at the same time. It's a, it's a giant cluster. No one knows what's going on. The TV production is bad, not because it's a bad production, but because it's impossible to cover well. So that was a problem. My issue is actually more fundamental than that. I hate that it's three rounds. Reason being all of the fun and all of the drama happened in the first round. (laughs) You had a 35 home run round. You had Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto. You had the the Trey Mancini story, all the things that led up to, yes, the excitement and the interest and the fireworks of Pete Alonso. And I know you didn't watch this, so maybe some of this context is lost. But for those of you who did, um, it felt like, kind of anticlimactic after everything amazing that happened in the first round. And that always happens. So even though they've gone to this, it's the head to head, right? It's a head to head matchup in each round and it's a bracket and they move to the next round. And I get it, but I don't like it because I think every time I watch the home run derby, the most compelling part is the initial round. And then after that, it's like, well, Pete Alonso might hit, lots of home runs but he's not going to hit 35 again because he's the 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 top seed so he's going to go last so he only has to hit one more home run than the first guy so he's not going to go off for 35 in the round he can hit 13 and win so it just it loses a lot of the luster because the extra rounds just don't really seem to have the same hype and the same you know, sort of explosion as the other two rounds. I don't know how you fix that because I don't know if you just go to all six players, just hit as many home runs as you can and then call it a day. I don't know if that fixes it, but that's my one complaint at this point is that I hate the extra rounds. I know how to fix it. Okay. I'm going to fix it for you. All right. Um, But first I want to say, correct. I did not watch it, but if what you're saying is correct, I'm trying to imagine myself in the crowd Watching a ball, I'm say I'm in the left field stands, watching a ball fly into the stands. Who knows? Maybe it's near me, so I really want to watch it in case I have a chance of catching it. And then having to turn back to the field knowing there could be another ball already <laughs> in the air. 
possibly yeah. heading at me and I'm supposed to track this and find this and just be doing this for an hour? That sounds dangerous. I, there are multiple people that fell over railings trying to catch baseballs. Not because they were there were multiple, just because they were a little crazy. But nonetheless, yeah. Am I Weird. right? Isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, there, there were, I believe, multiple injuries to the people in the outfield supposed to be shagging fly balls, probably because there were multiple balls in the air at the same time. This seems like a terrible idea. That sounds terrible. And yeah, I, I, I can see why that would be awful on television too. You have to see where the ball lands. Yeah. that's part, You want to see how and it far was, the ball goes. It I, was weird because you would watch it go out and then know that there was another one in the air that you weren't seeing and then see another pitch and there could be three home runs that happened. You only actually saw one of them, but then you'd have to watch the ticker at the top of the screen to see if it actually counted or not and even the announcers were usually a home run or two behind because they were waiting to see the ticker it was yeah the production value was bizarre that's a disaster i yeah. uh you got to get the clock out of there all right so i'm gonna fix the home run derby okay right now and i just thought of this while you're talking so i haven't really workshopped this that's all. fine all right but you're gonna have four people from the national league Four people from the American League. It's going to okay. be more of a National League versus American League thing. All right. One round. Everyone goes back to the old way. What I assume it's the old way. I didn't watch last night. Where you get 10 outs. Yep. All right. And you swap back and forth. The National League player goes first. American League player goes first. All right. So there'll be eight total, right? Four on National League side, four on American League side. After it's all done, you total it up. And you say the National League won the home run derby. The National League won the home run derby, and the home run derby champ is uh, whoever who hit the most. Bryce Harper, who hit eleven. I could I could get behind that. And that could be turns, very interesting. And then it really focuses again on the National League versus American League, which I think has been lost a little bit uh, over how many years? I don't know. Um, to the degree that people care, I care a little bit. It doesn't last hours it's one round and you get rewarded i know exactly what you're talking about tara i remember when i used to watch it a lot there's always a guy who like hit the most home runs but would still not win the home run derby yeah. I was like, well that doesn't seem right because he wouldn't do as well in the next round or something like that and that always bothered me and do we really need to see a guy up there more than once in my opinion, we don't. So, yeah, four guys from National League, four guys from American League, head-to-head, back and forth, kind of like a shootout almost in soccer, only much longer because 10 outs or whatever. Um, I think that would be exciting, especially if it comes back if it comes down to the last hitter. You know, think of like a, a four-by-100-meter relay, and you're like, all right, who yeah. do we have batting anchor? You know, who, you, maybe you yeah. want a big slugger at the very – you know, you position them in a certain way that the guy you think might hit the most home runs, you might want to have him last so you can say like, all right, look, we need uh, we need at least nine home runs, so go do your best type of thing. I would watch that. If you can tell me this will be over in 45 minutes, I will watch it. <laughs> I don't need well, to. <laughs> that is probably why there are 17 rounds or whatever there are because ESPN wants to drag it out. But I, I do, I really feel like finding a way to make it interesting, but in one round, saves all the drama for that one round instead of getting to the end of that and then going oh you have to do this two more times because <laughs> that's how it feels every time for me and yes there were moments because Pete Alonso 
hit six in a row in 29 seconds to win it. I get that, but it was still like, okay, but he didn't have to hit 35 like he did in the first round, which was way cooler. So I don't know. I, I like the idea of the team element. I like the strategy of who hits where in the order. And I think one round keeps it all tight, makes it interesting and doesn't drag it out longer than it needs to. So um, MLB, uh, feel free to <laughs> take this suggestion. Um, you can sponsor this podcast as a as a, a return favor if you'd like. And we just saved your your home run derby for next year. So you're welcome. Yeah, I, I, I do remember the first year they had the clock and it was kind of cool. It, there were moments where it was a lot of fun having that clock, whether it's like kind of walk off home run or like shoot, yeah. he, he, there's only this much time left. He needs this many home runs. But now that I've seen it, I'm ready to uh, what, what you just described just sounds too chaotic for for some for something to for me to enjoy, at least, especially for an event that lasts much longer than I believe that it should. So, yes, what I said would be better. And that's how it should be, in my opinion. I agree. I think we've come to a conclusion. So now that we've fixed the home run derby, uh, I think it's time to share a chirp of the week that highlights the all-star game without us actually having to talk about the all-star game because neither of us really care that much. (laughs) Well, and perhaps no one else cares because when you're listening to this, the all-star game will have already happened. And usually (laughs) once the all-star game happens, you're no longer in all-star game mode. So I apologize to anyone who feels that way because as you mentioned, this is a chirp of the week about the all-star game uh but not this particular all-star game but an all-star game that happened uh 66 years ago uh on july 12th 1955 in which um the national league won the game six to five on a walk-off home run by stan musial and you've probably heard this story before uh, because i've heard it tell i've heard it told by several different people um the first person I've heard it told by, I believe, was Henry Aaron when he was in a booth somewhere, I believe, and he was talking about Stan Musial. And he said at this particular All-Star game, which I believe was Henry Aaron's actual first All-Star game, it was the 12th inning. The game had been going on for a very long time. And according to Henry Aaron, Stan Musial said to the dugout, I am kind of tired of being here. I'm going <laughs> to end this game or something to that effect. And then went up and hit a home run. Uh I assume that's true. Uh, Why would it not be true? Um, But it's funny because it sounds as though he not only said that to the dugout, but according to MLB.com, he also said that to catcher Yogi Berra when he walked up to the plate. Uh, Reading from the article, it says, after 12 innings, Musial was ready to go home. Yogi, he said, as he stepped into the batter's box, let's end this thing. And Berra replied, I'm getting tired. Now, uh, perhaps maybe Yogi signaled a, hey, throw him a pipe shot, uh, you know, as Adam Wainwright called it uh, several, mm-hmm. several years ago in that controversial uh, moment with uh, Derek Jeter. I don't know. But the uh, the ensuing result was Stan Musial hitting a home run and the National League winning the game 6-5 to five and, and that being that. And circling back to Henry Aaron, uh, Henry Aaron would go on to break Stan Musial's uh, all-time record for most all-star games. I think he was in like 25 of them or something like that. And part of the reason for that is because from, and and this applies to Stan as well, but from 1959 to 1962, 
as a lot of people know, there were two all-star games, which is absolutely <laughs> insane. Like no one needs two all-star games. We barely need one. Uh, I, I shouldn't be that pessimistic about something I actually used to really enjoy and still enjoy, like I mentioned last week, on, on a certain level. But the idea that there was once two all-star games is the funniest thing to me because it's clearly nothing more than a money grab. And it was clearly too much of a money grab that after four years, they were like, yeah, we have to get rid of this. This is absolutely ludicrous. Um, no one actually wants this. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't even know when they were spaced apart or when the, maybe there was one after the season, I like the Pro Bowl. I really don't know how that worked. But yes, for, for those four years, there were um, four all-star games. It, but Perhaps the excitement of Stan Musial's home run four years earlier is what told them, like, you know what? That was great. We could really use more of that. So let's, <laughs> let's add another game. But I don't know. Um, and another uh, really quick thing about the All-Star game is the American League leads the all-time series uh, 45 wins to 43 losses and, of course, one tie. Uh, I think one tie. I don't know. Maybe there's been more ties. But I only know of that one famous tie. Um, What's interesting about that is, is the first All-Star game I remember was 1987. And I think that one was won, if not extra innings, and in like in the ninth inning on a Tim Raines triple when he got like two RBIs. And what I remember is my dad saying this and it being backed up on the broadcast that the National League always wins the All-Star game. Like the National League always wins. And that was actually true back then. <laughs> but since that game, the American League has gone 25 and 6 and 1 against the National League. <laughs> there have been 31 All-Star games. No, there have been 32 All-Star games and the American League has won 25 of them and had that crazy ridiculous tie. So what at one time, I guess, I don't know, maybe no one ever said this, but I'm sure it seemed like an insurmountable uh, lead at one point has, has was toppled several years ago, and now the American League uh, holds the all-time record in the All-Star game. For those who care, probably not many. And I have two more things on that. Stan Musial actually holds the record for most home runs in an All-Star game with nice. six. And I also want to end with a quote from Jack Buck uh, on that game. He said, uh, this from the article, those who knew Musial best were hardly surprised. Uh, quote, even in a game that had no bearing on the pennant race, Musial hated to make an out, said Cardinals broadcaster Jack Buck about the home run. For at all times, he was a study in concentration. And then it ends by saying, in 2011, Musial's walk-off was voted the greatest moment in All-Star game history, which, okay, that kind of surprised me. I didn't know if it was that well-known of a moment, but cool. Good for seeing. There staying. you go. Yeah. And that is where we will end this all-star break edition of Chirps because we don't know what to say about the current Cardinals going on from here. So we'll see what they do coming out of the break. Hopefully it's interesting to talk about and we have some storylines to discuss and maybe some comebacks from injury later on as we go through the summer. So uh, lots of hopes of what to talk about. We'll see how they pull it off after the break so Alex I think that's all for now that's all I can think of to say about this team at the moment and we will be back at it next week with a couple of games against the Giants to talk about and we'll go from there so as always a pleasure chatting with you thanks for your chirp of the week and we'll talk again real soon thanks to everyone for listening we'll be back in a week to talk to you 
more from your friendly neighborhood podcast, Chirps.